This is Joe Walters. You're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Kylie Omel are showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley, and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer slips and scores. What You're kidding me. By Dylan Ward. Gets topside. Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk presented by Fanatics. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson, here joined by PLT contributor Brian Andrews. As with every week, reminder to visit prolacrosstalk.com slash NLL shop or prolacrosstalk.com slash NLL shop dash CA for your official NLL team gear. Brian, how are we doing today, man? Doing great. Lots of lacrosse news to get to and uh, an exciting week of NLL to recap and preview in this episode. Absolutely. And we have an interview with uh, Joe Walters, who we're going to talk a little bit about him a little bit later because he has recently announced his retirement along with another lacrosse legend. Um, but I know you got to watch some live lacrosse on Tuesday. Uh, how was that Drexel game that you attended? It was awesome. It was a great game. Uh, first college game I've watched live in probably five or six years. So it was a nice, it was a nice treat. Um, I'm surprised I haven't gone sooner to any one of the Philly area games. Um, but they were playing St. Joe's. And uh, real quick, St. Joe's did something that I've never seen done before in, in a lacrosse game. Um, so St. Joe's won the faceoff. Mm-hmm. And you face off guys like they pass the ball, then maybe lock each other off. So they run off the field. St. Joe's face off guy being locked off by the Drexel guy after winning the face off steps very like slowly over the midline. And this was clearly scripted. And a St. Joe's defensive guy just shoots up the field oh. to create a six on five because Drexel wasn't ready for the substitution and their offensive guy didn't run with the pole because he didn't know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And somehow Drexel like, like survived their man down unit was great. And that's basically what this ended up being. <laughs> um, but it was crazy. Like I, like I didn't even know what was going on for three seconds. And I've been, you know, playing or watching lacrosse for like 20 years. Um, and I thought it was like a really creative thing. Sanchez was doing creative stuff all game. Um, it was a real nail biter and a real exciting game. So totally recommend watching. It was a great time. Yeah, no, that is interesting for sure. I know, you know, when we were playing, uh, a lot of it was you get an attackman uh, to get off, you know, in the box. That way you could get your offensive guy um, or your defensive guy, you know, on the field a lot quicker. But it was interesting to see a defender go down, kind of force it on offense. So, yeah, definitely interesting uh, there. And you mentioned, you know, it was nice to get a college game in in Philly. You know, we got to see each other at the PLL weekend in Philly last summer and it's exciting to see them going back to Philly that is actually the location of this year's championship for the PLL they announced that as well as the back half of their schedule they're going to Fairfield for week seven Fairfield Connecticut so first time going there then they're going to Dallas at the star in Frisco that's where they were originally going to go in 2020 before they opted to go for a bubble tournament Um, then they're headed to Denver at Peter Barton Stadium home of uh, Denver University then they're going to Salt Lake City Zion's Bank Stadium, where they uh, had that bubble tournament. Seattle, another new location and tour. And then for the playoffs, they're going to Boston again, Washington, D.C. for the semis, and Philadelphia for the championship. So pretty good tour. Nice to see them going to a few different locations this uh, this year. 
um, and mixing up the schedule a little bit. You know, usually the regular season ends on Albany. They're opening with Albany. Usually Boston opens the season. Boston is now the all-star game as well as a playoff spot. Um, I do think it's smart for them to have some of these playoff matchups at uh, pretty hotbed markets. So I think that's a, a good move by them. But it's nice to also see them, you know, go out west and try some new locations out like Seattle, Dallas, and Connecticut as well. So definitely looking forward to this upcoming PLL schedule. In some other news as well, uh, we have some player signings. So our first player signings come from the Cannons. Coach Cork signed Tyson Bell and Jake Pulver. Uh, their deals had expired, so they are now signed through 2024. And he extended Stephen Rafis and Jack Kielty, rookies last year. They were signed through this season, but now he locks them up for uh, another three years. So their uh, contracts will go through 2024 as well. Um, when I talked to him a little bit about it, uh, he mentioned just the, the leadership that Kielty and Rafis both showed, despite only being rookies last year, is a reason why he wanted to lock them up for a couple more years. Um, and then obviously Tyson Bell and Jake Pulver were key parts of that defense last year as well. So those are our first signings. Uh, I'm hearing that a lot of the signings are verbal right now, but they're going to be made official pretty soon. So by the time this comes out, there may even be more. But those are the first four that we've heard about that are official so far. Uh, finally, some news from the PLL in terms of retirement. Some sad news. Drew Adams has retired, as well as Joe Walters, two of the greats. Definitely future Hall of Famers. We'll start off with Drew Adams. Drew Adams retires as a four-time All-Pro. Uh, he won the 2015 MLO Championship with the New York Lizards, um, won a silver medal in 2014 World Games, and finishes as the all-time save leader in pro field across history with 1,966, almost 2,000 saves in his career. Um, he ended up splitting time the past three seasons in the PLO, so maybe if he was a full-time goalie, he might have reached that 2,000 marks. Still, Sitting at 1,966 saves, top all time, um, not really even close to anyone behind them, but a uh, crazy feat for Drew Adams. Yeah, it's crazy to think that that's 700 more saves than two of the closest goalies to him. Um, and like you said, especially considering the fact that most recently he was splitting time on the archers. So the fact that he's just so far ahead in, in save quantity is, is really remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. The only two guys that are active that are, you know, really close and it's not all that close is his fellow goaltender on the archers, Adam Gittleman and uh, Brian Phipps. So those are two guys that, uh, you know, probably have a few more years in them, but I don't think they have enough years to amass, you know, 700 plus saves to, to catch Drew Adams. And to put it into perspective, uh, Joe Keegan tweeted out that if Blaze Reardon, who's currently 28 right now, averaged 15 and a half saves per game, uh, it would take him 89 games to surpass that mark. So that's almost nine seasons uh, currently. Now, if the league expands, you know, the schedule going forward, that could be less seasons. I think he could do it, um, but that's got to be a level of production that's, you know, insane right there to, to be able to, you know, average 15 and a half saves per game um, in what is around, you know, nine to 10 game seasons. Um, you know, hopefully they expand, you know, the MLL tended to be around 12 games per season. So that's where Drew Adams was able to, you know, make up a little bit uh, of ground there, you know, having more games, but um, amazing feat for him. And uh, I don't think anyone's going to catch him anytime soon. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like that's not a ridiculous number for Blaze's level of production that we've seen in recent history. It's just the longevity, really, yes, that, yes. that that's the only question in my mind, like how long can you possibly do it for? But uh, Blaze would definitely be the obvious first person to come to mind to potentially challenge that record. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's got to be, it's really him. And then, you know, maybe we have some rookies coming in um, or some young guys. You know, Timmy Troutner is a guy that's obviously been starting since uh, he became a rookie in this league. So, you know, maybe he has a chance. But right now it's hard to like forecast that far in advance. And obviously goalie position is the toughest to break into in this league. You see, you know, top tier goalies ride the bench. So it, it's, it's tough. It's going to be a tough record to break. It's funny that you bring up goalies being like one of the toughest entry points in the league because with all of these retirements, I was wondering if you have any thoughts on uh, which teams might be going where for a goalie. I'm putting you on the spot here, but. No, I, I, I think it's definitely interesting. I don't think you're going to see a lot of movement this year. The, the, really, the, the group I kind of want to look at this season is you have Jack and Cannon and J.D. Calarusso going into the season, probably competing for that starting role. You know, J.D. played really, really well 
when Kincannon was injured. I think Kincannon is still their guy. I think he still gets the slight edge. But then they brought Alex Road in as well. The Archers are in an interesting position where they have Drew Adams retire, but Gittleman ended up cementing himself as a starter down the stretch anyway. So it wasn't, it's not really, you know, leaving that big of a void, but they lost Washuda, who they had on their practice roster to the Chrome. Um, the Chrome were savvy and knowing they're not making the playoffs, were able to pick up guys uh, to kind of fill the void of, you know, John Galloway retiring. So they, they go into the season with Sean Scanoni, presumably going to be their top goalie. Um, and Washuda, a very capable backup who split time with the Outlaws, who could also compete for that starting role. But that's where I look at it. If I'm coach Rubor, do you maybe try to move Calaruso to a team, um, you know, get something in return while his stock is high? I think it's all, it's going to be a very training camp decision because JD played really well, but Kincannon has historically played really well. So are they doing like a, a Redwood situation where they brought like four faceoff guys to camp and they kind of just figured it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but now bringing on a third goalie, now he can leverage trades for a goalie that he doesn't think makes the cut in training camp. Yeah. So I think I think the Atlas are in an even better spot with people wanting a backup, and we and Atlas also saw how important a backup goalie was mm-hmm. in the past season. Um, so I think the move's looking like more genius, and it, and it's and it puts Rubio in a very flexible scenario that he can make decisions on the fly rather than pinning himself into a corner. Yeah, and I think what's going to be interesting is how Road performs at camp, and then what he like you know tries to do because if you look at what the Redwoods did, they had three goalies going into the season. Phipps didn't suit suit up for you know at least it was it has to be three games before they release the player pool. Got released to the player pool. Whip snakes swiped them up. So are you going to see that you know with let's say Alex Road is the odd man out for this Atlas team? They go with Calaruso and Cannon. Is Rode then a guy that's available? Um, you know, I still think it's at a spot where like there's no, I don't think any team has a goalie problem where they're like actively looking. I think everyone's pretty set. Even the teams, you know, Galloway retires, Sean Scanoni's their guy. That's why they draft them in the entry draft last year. Archers, Gittleman's their guy. So that's where I don't think there's going to be really much shakeups at the beginning of the season. But as season progresses, if there is an injury to somebody, a key injury, or if someone's not performing well, if you don't have that strong backup, like, you know, essentially the whip snakes really didn't feel like they did. They picked up FIPS, you know, that's where I think you're going to see a scenario where, you know, there might be a goalie shuffle. I don't think it happens at the beginning of the season, but I think it might happen towards the end of the season. I think that, I think that's a great point. And I think one thing, that's unique about the PLL that's going to kind of, I think, give my potential to have trade leverage with this pickup, uh, have a little bit more merit is that uh, the teams have training camp together. So the other coaches are going to be able to see the Atlas goalie competition in scrimmages, which is Mm -hmm. a really weird thing to think about. But not only do I agree with you that I don't think there will be a lot of shakeups at the beginning of the season, but say that, um, I don't know, Scanoni has a couple of bad games in camp, a bad scrim- a couple of bad scrimmages in camp, and they want to bring someone else in to motivate him through competition or whatever. And I'm using Scanoni as a scratch example. I don't think he's going to do poorly. I think he's going to do really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe the Chrome bring on one of Atlas's goalie and send Atlas a piece that they might be looking for or a future draft pick or something. Mm-hmm. So just like a, an extra variable to consider that's unique to the PLO. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I think, you know, it's it's a similar situation to last year. We're going into it. You know, I don't think there was really, you know, Dylan Ward got traded to the Water Dogs. That kind of filled up that that void. I don't think there was really any any changes that anyone expected goalie-wise. And then, you know, as the season progresses, Kincannon gets injured. J.D. Calaruso steps in. You know, Burnlor's not playing well. They pick up Phipps. So that's where I think it's going to be very similar going into next season. Uh, but we're at a point where it's it's still only eight teams and there's still, you know, probably 12, 14 starting caliber goalies. So that's where you're going to see, um, you know, some, some guys that are, they could be starting on a team or going to be left out. I just think so far the PLO coaches haven't shown um, that sense of urgency to make the change. You know, I, I think it, it Stagnita was probably the one that was the biggest to kind of make the move to go with somebody else despite Burnlore winning them two championships. And obviously he says Burnlore is their goalie of the future, which we all believe. So, you know, he should have that starting role going in the season as well. Um, you know, uh, presumably he gets back to his correct form like he was in years prior, but that's where it's interesting. You know, 
most of the time, these uh, coaches really trust their starting goaltenders and give them a, a longer leash than maybe we've seen in, uh, you know, the NLL or in past MLL seasons. But um, definitely an interesting discussion for sure. Moving on now to Joe Walters, who retired. Uh, we, I, I love that we were hinting at him uh, a little bit last week because he's so high up on a lot of these uh, stats lists. Um, the sad thing is I thought we were going to get one more season with him. And unfortunately that is to not be, uh, he announces his retirement, um, at the time of retirement, he ranks second in career assists only behind Ryan Boyle, um, who is a future hall of famer in my book. And I think Joe Walters will be a future hall of famer as well. We'll get to that a little bit. Third in points, um, behind only John Grant Jr. And Paul Rabel and fourth in goals in pro field lacrosse history. Um, so he ended up appearing in seven championships, winning two straight MLL championships with the Toronto Nationals and Rochester Rattlers. So Rattlers won in 08, uh, and then they ended up moving to Toronto to become the Nationals and won in 2009. So technically back-to-back, even though two different iterations of the same team, and then won three straight NLL Cups with the Rochester Nighthawks. He's a Rochester native, so pretty cool for him to win one with the Rattlers and three with the Nighthawks in that dynasty, the only pro lacrosse team to win three straight. Um, you know, some people tend to forget that. <laughs> and it's turned into quite a meme now in lacrosse Twitter, but um, Nighthawks are the only team to win three straight pro championships. Quite a few teams have won three in four years. The Whipsnakes are a team that could win three in four years, but the only team to win three straight are the Rochester Nighthawks, uh, who are now the Halifax Thunderbirds. And we mentioned Hall of Fame because obviously we think Drew Adams is going to be a Hall of Famer. Joe Walters obviously just laid out why he should be in the Professional Lacrosse Hall of Fame as well. It's interesting that class of 2024 now has four potential midfield candidates in Paul Rabel, Kyle Harrison, Joe Walters, and Drew Snyder. Like, what a class. Um, I think hopefully they ditched the, you know, lineup format that they went with this year. I think it was a great starting point, and they're going to have to backfill a lot of MLO guys. So, uh, you know, I, if they end up sticking to that starting lineup format, good luck choosing between those four um, for that, those three midfield slots. But I think all three of the, or I think all four of them will get in uh, first ballot by the time we get to the class of 2024. So we'll see there, but um, crazy, great career. Joe Walters, lucky to have him on the podcast. We'll toss to him in a little bit, but the one thing I, I just want to bring up is it's crazy to me that he almost had six championships. We mentioned the three NLL mentioned the two MLL, he was so close to getting that one with the Redwoods. He scored that go ahead goal um, with, you know, less than three minutes to go. And if it wasn't for Jules Henningberg missing that behind the back, that was almost the dagger. They might've been the first team to win a PLL championship, not the Whipsnakes, but unfortunately Whipsnakes end up getting the ball back. They go down Rambo scores. Obviously the rest is history scores in overtime as well. And Whipsnakes are your first PLL champions in 2019. Um, you know, and it's funny too, that a lot of Maryland heavy, uh, influence on that whip snakes team where Joe Walters, Maryland guy was on the Redwoods. So just very, very interesting how, you know, things could have went a little bit differently in that 2019 championship. But, uh, without further ado, let's toss our interview with Joe Walters. It's really great to have him on and I appreciate him joining me. So let's listen to what he had to say about his PLL, MLL and NLL career. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Pro Lacrosse Talk, I'm lucky to be joined by Joe Walters, who recently announced he is retiring after a 16-year pro career that saw him win two MLL championships, three NLL championships, and finished with the fourth most goals, third most points, and second most assists in pro field lacrosse history. Joe, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. I mean, let's start with your decision to retire. It's sad for me, who's been watching you throughout your career, um, to know that you're retiring, but I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision. Talk me through, you know, this decision to kind of finally hang up the cleats and, uh, you know, looking back on your, your illustrious career so far. Yeah, you know, it's obviously it's, uh, it's never easy to um, call it quits, you know, with, uh, with, with especially having done it for so long. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was it was definitely uh, an uneasy one, but at the same time, it's uh, it's the right decision. You know, it's uh, my my time has come to an end. You know, I've got a lot of stuff that I'm working on in the lacrosse world, but off the field, um, and it's really time to shift and focus on that. Absolutely, no, and you do a lot. I think you know, with teaching the young kids um, the game of lacrosse. Talk to me a little bit about growing up in Rochester and when you first picked up a stick. How did you first get introduced to the game of lacrosse? Yeah, you know, my, my dad and I were talking about it the other day. Um, he's uh, he, he's um, he gets really fired up about about um, how we got into lacrosse. So mm-hmm. I uh, he, he never played. Um, he was a you know athlete growing up. Played football. Played uh, he wrestled. Um, with you know, was a baseball guy. Um, and I was wrestling. You know, I first started playing basketball at the YMCA. And then I got into, uh, I got into wrestling and one of my buddies, I was in third grade. So I was eight, you know, just, just a little guy. I never heard about lacrosse, but mm. he, uh, he asked what I was doing in the spring and I said, nothing. I have no idea. Like, you know, I'm just a kid. I had no idea. My dad didn't know anything about the sport. And, uh, he asked if I wanted to come off for lacrosse. So they're, they're uh, you know, our, my dad talked, his dad talked and, um, that's how I got into it. Went off for lacrosse and, um, you know, didn't know anything about it. Uh, was absolutely terrible. Um, I, I was laughing with my dad. I remember vividly my first practice. After practice, you know, everyone takes their stuff off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids that have played before know how to put their stuff on their stick, put it over your shoulder. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I just took all my stuff off, had it in my hands and and, and walked off the field. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that was my first experience in lacrosse. And, um, you know, the rest is history after that. You know, absolutely. You obviously did well enough to earn a scholarship to go to Maryland, uh, you know, a pretty big program at the time and still to this day um, where you're a Torton finalist. Talk to me about your decision to play at Maryland, kind of what led you to that and how your career at Maryland kind of led you to, you know, develop your skills that prepared you for the pros. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, growing up, I, I, you know, in high school, um, one of my, one of my coaches was uh, Jay Whipple, his son, Andrew, um, was a standout attackman at Maryland. He's from my high school. His dad was my coach. And um, at the time, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's, it's, it seems like it's a little bit different these days. Um, but I, I went to the final four every single year um, as a kid until I got to high school when we had um, games and stuff and practices mm-hmm. on that weekend that made it pretty hard. Uh, but growing up, I went to every single final four. And back then it was in College Park. Then it was in Rutgers. Uh, but when it was in College Park, I went every year. And, um, you know, obviously it's a beautiful campus. Venue is incredible. Bird, Bird Stadium. Um, so I always dreamed of playing at Maryland, you know. And um, back then it was it was the mid to late 90s. Andrew was an attackman at Maryland. So a guy from Rochester. Um, I, and, and, and I didn't know his dad would be, would be my coach eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a guy from Rochester, you know, Final Fours. And, you know, Maryland was in the championship games those years. Um, you know, I always dreamed of playing in Maryland. Um, and as I got older, you know, um, with his dad was my coach, you know, I, I, I still dreamed of playing in Maryland and I, and I, and I always kind of wanted to strive to be like Andrew, you know, he was, a, he was a role, a role model to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but at the time I, I didn't get recruited by Maryland. Um, people don't know that, but, uh, I, I was, I was going to go to Loyola. I was committed to Loyola verbally. Um, Coach Dave Cottle was the coach at Loyola. Mm-hmm. I was set. I, I love Loyola, you know, the program. I love Coach Cottle as a coach, as a person. Um, so I was set to go to Loyola, and the Maryland job opened up. He took the Maryland job and called me the next day and offered me the same scholarship. And ultimately, that's why I, I ended up going to Maryland, because I always dreamed of going to that school as, as a kid. 
mm-hmm. Syracuse, Maryland, probably my two schools that I like really want to go to. Um, and to have that opportunity was a no brainer. No, that's awesome. And I know you eventually played for coach Cotto again, I think for the Bayhawks for maybe a couple seasons, correct? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we'll get to that a little bit later, but, uh, first off, after your Maryland career, um, you know, you obviously had a, a great career there. You get drafted by Rochester, the Rattlers, number one overall in the 2006 draft. Talk about that feeling of getting drafted, especially to your hometown team. Same thing. You know, when I was, uh, when I was growing up, I, I, uh, that was when I was at the end, like kind of in high school, mm-hmm. um, the Rattlers were around. And again, more, some of my, my childhood heroes were on that team. Um, you know, I was, I was at um, Frontier Field when the MLL did like a summer tour. So they mm-hmm. went around to every venue or potential venues or cities that they were going to have teams in. And I was at that game. It's like Casey Powell, Tim Sudan, um, Ryan Powell, like some of the games, Rick, Rick Beardsley, um, guys that I watched growing up. And they're, uh, you know, they're playing in the pro league. And that was kind of my first taste of pro lacrosse. Like, man, this is really cool best players in the world playing. So um, to have that opportunity to, to play for Rochester, my hometown, you know, I think they made some moves to make that, that number one pick happen. Um, if, if, if I recall correctly, um, that, that was really special, you know, to be able to play in front of my family, in front of my hometown. Um, it, was, it was really cool. And then obviously to win the championship in 2008 um, was, was really special, but, you know, more importantly, I think it's, it was a matter of playing with, guys that I idolized growing up, John Grant Jr., Casey Powell, like those two guys in particular um, are absolute like idols and heroes to me. So that's a really cool thing about lacrosse. And I think it's, it's just, it's kind of like, like every sport, but it seems like in lacrosse guys can have long careers and to be able to play with guys that you really looked up to as a kid. That's, that's really special. Yeah, no, that's got to be a great feeling. And you mentioned that title you guys won in 08. You were named the championship weekend MVP that season. Uh, talk about that championship. Uh, and then we'll get into, technically, you guys went back-to-back, even though you moved to Toronto. We'll get into that, too. But uh, talk about that first championship with Rochester. Yeah, I think we, um, first couple of years, like, we came close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought we were, you know, we're kind of getting comfortable and uh, starting to hit our stride. And then, you know, wait, you know, I think we had, I, I believe we had one of the best, teams ever assembled um you know just a, a, a awesome mix of field players and box players mm-hmm. you know if you look at guys like colin doyle gavin prout jeff zawicki brody merrill um some of the best and johnny grant obviously some of the best indoor players to ever play um and then you you know you factor in how good those guys are in field lacrosse team canada guys mm-hmm. uh, but then you add in like Casey you know what I mean like arguably one of the best players to ever play the game uh we just had a really really great mix of uh of 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 hybrid style players and um again I think uh, it took us a couple years but we finally put it together no absolutely and then that following season you guys won as the Toronto Nationals um and really kind of leaned into that hybrid style I mean I like to tell people that are you know maybe just getting into PLL now that you know the chaos what they're doing is great but the Nationals kind of were doing it, you know, a decade earlier or whatever. So talk about that championship, especially winning in such dramatic fashion. You had that game-winning assist. Um, so how was it, you know, feel, how was that feeling to get that back-to-back championship? To go back to the 08 Rattlers really quick, mm-hmm. um, re- really cool for me as well. Our goalies, Mike Levin and Brett Queener. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with both of them, which is really cool. Uh, Mike Levin was at that first practice that I ever went to for Pittsburgh Lacrosse. He was, so I knew Mike since I was a little, little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've known him for, for many years and to be able to like play on this, on the same team together, win together, really cool. And then Brett Queener, we had a really awesome system of, they played uh, two halves. So mm-hmm. I think Mike started the game and then Brett just comes in with this huge amount of energy. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what he plays with. That's what he brings. And, you know, Brett, I grew up with Brett and Bryce Queener. Uh, we played Empire State games together um from Penyan and it just that's a really cool cool opportunity you know to play mm-hmm. with guys that you grew up with as little little kids um to to have our own paths and our college careers and then come back together win mm-hmm. as a pro is uh was really special um oh nine I mean I, I I'd have to look at the roster again but for the most part 
many of the same players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that season was, was pretty cool because I got to suit up with uh, Gary Gate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, again, uh, absolute, one of the great, you know, if not the greatest player to ever play. Um, idolized him. He was like the first celebrity in the sport. Um, I've got so many pictures and autographs of, from Gary Gate and Paul Gate when I was when I was a kid at, at those Final Fours. I've got a mm-hmm. picture of Gary, me and Gary um, at the Final Four. So you know, to to be able to um, play with him, you know, in, in that season was cool. But you know, again, same same uh, same dynamic, hybrid style, box field. Um, it, it was just a, a great group, and I think it 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 tells you something about where the sport was kind of heading. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at Team Canada that their success. You know, I think it's it's a mix of obviously their box style, but a lot of those guys have adapted. You know, field lacrosse into their games. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as their way to get recruited to go to college, they're playing more field lacrosse, and vice versa. Um, a lot of Americans growing up in the states are playing more box lacrosse. So there's that mix now of playing both brands, and I think, you know, that's that's what that's one of the things I'm doing right now to this day is trying to promote that play both brands it's going to make you a a, a multi-dimensional well-rounded lacrosse player so I think yeah we were the first you know first team to really first two teams to really do it um in the cast again you're seeing that success you're seeing the mix of having field guys and having a lot of box guys and what that can look like again no absolutely and you know in that 2009 uh same year you joined the Rochester Nighthawks in the NLL um, and you played with them. You guys ended up winning three straight championships, the only pro lacrosse team uh, to win three straight. Um, talk a little bit about how you adapted your game getting into the box game. Obviously, you played with a lot of, you know, box first players. Um, did they, were they the ones that kind of helped you kind of get into the NLL or talk about that, you know, that process of, you know, joining the Rochester Nighthawks and getting involved in the box game? Yeah, it's a cool, it's, it's a, um, it's a cool way that I got in, involved with the Nighthawks. Uh, interesting. And most people probably think I got drafted by the Nighthawks, but so what happened was, um, it's the bandits, you know, right? yeah. So what happened was, um, <laughs> you know, prior to you getting drafted, usually coaches call you, find mm-hmm. out what your plans are. You know, there's guys that take jobs. There's guys that are going to move across the country, whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, I, I talked to the Philly staff. I talked to, you know, a number of other teams. And Buffalo wasn't one of those teams that, that reached out. Mm-hmm. So I go to the draft. It was in New York City. I had a great time with, with people in my class, met, met some new faces, a lot of Canadians that I, again, no idea who these guys were. Ryan mm-hmm. Benesh, I think he went number one overall, um, obviously turned into or was one of the best players and has been one of the um, – you know the indoor games best players for many many years mm-hmm. um but guys that I had, I had no idea who they were so uh, you know all these picks are going by and like philly has a couple picks i want to say ethan ianucci was my was my class mm-hmm. um and obviously turned into he was a, a stud at hofstra um and was it was a stud with the wings like i was really hoping that philly was going to draft me because i was living in dc um, finishing up at Maryland. So that made the most sense. Living in DC could, could drive up to Philly for practice games. They didn't take me. And then all of a sudden I hear Buffalo. It's like, Oh man, like, <laughs> I, I don't know what to think about this. Like I'm, I'm grateful. I'm happy that I got drafted, but I'm not living in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. I'm living in DC. How's this going to work? Um, and as a rookie, you know, going into a, a new brand of lacrosse, like I know that a lot of guys that grow up in the States think they've played box lacrosse. Um, I played box lacrosse, meaning it was field lacrosse in a box. Mm-hmm. So in Rochester, we had, you know, there's a couple indoor facilities. Um, my high school actually had an outdoor box, but we were just playing field in a box. And it mm-hmm. was just a means of getting more touches, um, tighter quarters, which is great. Nothing, not, that's, that's an awesome thing to do. But I wasn't playing real box. So mm. I was a little nervous about what that would look like. No, because I, I wasn't going to be able to make practice because Buffalo, I believe, practiced on Tuesdays during the week. I wasn't going to be able to make practice. And I talked to Coach Kilgore about that. And uh, I just told him, like, listen, I, I don't think this is going to work. I don't feel comfortable as a rookie coming up for just games, getting 
thrown into the fire there. Yeah. Um, and, and he wasn't thrilled that I wasn't able to make practice or that I wasn't able to commit to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. But it's like, man, if you would have just called me, <laughs> I would have told <laughs> yeah. you what yeah. my plans were. I think you just assumed that I was in Rochester. Um, so long story short, I didn't play for two years. After two years, your rights um, are uh, turned into a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, Rochester Jr., what John Grant was uh, going through some injury, just a, a big injury where he wasn't able to play. At the time, I moved back up to Rochester. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was local and it kind of worked out that I was there. Um, it's, and it's also funny, when I moved to Rochester, Philly called me and wanted me to play for Philly, but it's like, yeah. man, now I'm in Rochester, <laughs> I'm not in DC anymore. Timing yeah. just wasn't there. So I, I sat for two years, didn't play, and Rochester finally picked me up. Really cool to play for my hometown again. Um, you know, I grew up going to every Nighthawks game. My dad had like, I want to say like six to eight season tickets. All my buddies would go with me that, that played lacrosse, even kids that didn't play lacrosse, mm-hmm. um, kids from basketball would come with me to games. And, um, you know, especially back then, like Nighthawks games were, uh, you know, huge crowds. Um, it was, it was a, a, a great event every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really cool to be able to play in that environment in the Blue Cross Arena. But I was awful. <laughs> I was terrible. So for three years, you know, um, a guy that I used to work with because I had a job with the Nighthawks as well. A guy that I used to work with um, just reached out to me and uh, or he put up a tweet he was like, you know, do you remember when, you know, fans used to cheer that when you got, when you got scratched, when um, you barely played, when you were terrible, I remember that vividly. And, you know, that, that's what, it, it really pissed me off. It really made me, um, it, it made me think about quitting. Obviously, I, you know, I didn't like that. I wasn't good. I didn't like that fans would cheer when I wasn't playing, mm-hmm. you know, when they heard my name say, Oh, Joe Walters is a scratch. They would applaud like, you know, get loud and like cheer, cheer about that. Like that's, that's not a great feeling, especially in your hometown. Um, but coach Mike Hazen was instrumental. You know, he, after three years of doing that, he, you know, he, he I remember it, we were in uh, we were getting back on our, for our last game in the airport waiting for our bags. And he came up to me and he said, Hey, you want to do this or not? And I said, yeah, yeah. Like I want, I want to do it. I want to be better. Like I want, I want to play. Mm-hmm. So, well, then you're going to have to play senior A with me. You know, we're gonna, you're going to have to come up to Brampton. Are you willing to do that? I said, yeah, just let me know what I have to do. I'm there. And if it wasn't for that opportunity, you know, I probably would have quit because there's no way I would have gotten better. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have got the reps to improve my game, to learn the box game. Because um, for me, it, it took time. You know, there's other guys, you know, look at guys like Drew Westerbelt, Brendan Mundorf. They, they were my class as well. Um those guys are just naturals. Like they, they were just so good at, at box. And for me, it just took, it took a lot more time. So yeah, if it wasn't for that, for that opportunity and it was a grind, it was driving up three hours to Canada, playing a game, driving three hours back, playing back-to-back games, doing the same thing. Um, and my dad was, was, was really the key in that as well. He, he came with me on those trips. Um, so if it wasn't for, for that opportunity, and I did that for two, two summers in a row, I, you know, I wouldn't have been on those championship teams. That's for sure. No, and you persevered and you ended up, you know, earning your shot and you were on those three teams. Talk about that dynasty that you guys were able to, to go on that run of winning, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014. You know, a lot has to go your way. You know, I think that's, that's why no, no professional lacrosse team has won a three-peat. And if you look at sports in general, it's, it's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot has to go your way over those years. Um, Kurt Styers, Coach Hazer, they talked about lacrosse again inches. And, you know, it's just to look back on it, like so many things have to go your way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think we, we were really close as a team. Um, I think Kurt, who are, who's our owner, he's the current owner of Halifax. Mm-hmm. He made it a point um, to make sure we did a lot as a team. We would travel as a team. We would have every meal as a team. And the more time you spend together, you become a lot closer. You know, the team chemistry becomes a lot tighter. Um, and, and, and that's a huge part of, of that success. You know, obviously we had the right pieces. Um, you know, we added pieces along the way. But 
you know, when you start playing for that guy next to you and really when you love that person, when you, when you, uh, when that, when that person's your brother, uh, because you spent so much time together, as cliche as that sounds, it, it's a, it's a fact, it's a, it's a reality, you know, things have to go your way and um, that that's part of it too. But, you know, so much of it is just all the time that we spend together. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. No, absolutely. I'm sure it was uh, probably awesome to, to win each of those, especially, you know, each year. And like you said, no small, small task to pull that off. Um, now, going back to the MLL a little bit, I mentioned, you know, you played for the Bayhawks and the Lizards. Um, played for Coach Cottle for a couple of seasons too with the Bayhawks. Talk about reuniting with him um, and kind of, you know, being on different teams in the MLL later in your career as well. Yeah, you know, I, I um, you know, I look at the Rattlers and and um, it was Coach BJ O'Hara mm-hmm. um, and he's a great coach. And I think, you know, what's so important about professional lacrosse and you see it in the NBA, it doesn't in the NFL, like it doesn't always translate, like college coaches don't always translate to good pro coaches. I've been blessed with every single coach that I've had has had a great mix of structure, but mm-hmm. also just freelance, like let these guys play. Mm-hmm. Um, so coach Cottle, um, I, you know, obviously played for him at Maryland. I think he had the right mix of just letting guys uh, let their, let their talent speak for itself, speak, speak for itself a little bit, mm-hmm. let guys play um, coach Huntley you know, the late, great coach Huntley. Um, he, he is uh, one of my all-time favorite coaches. If I look back at a coach, he was the guy that kind of had that mix. Mm-hmm. He just wanted guys to have fun, uh, play for each other, but just let, just go play. Mm-hmm. Do you like, do what's made you successful, right? That's what we want. Um, don't try to do, you know, someone else's job. Don't try to be someone you're not be the player that you are because he did a good job of putting guys in the right places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I absolutely love playing for coach Huntley with, with the Hamilton nationals um, and coach Connell, obviously, um, you know, it's, it was awesome to reunite with him. The Bayhawks were a great organization. Everything was done first class with, with, uh, with their ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think uh, it speaks volumes of, of, of them, you know, to, to bring in such great, great talent year in and year out. But um you know, I've, I've, I've just, I've been so, so grateful to, uh, and so blessed to play for some of the game's greatest coaches. And again, greatest players as teammates and great coaches as, uh, as, as, um, as, as leaders. No, absolutely. And we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the PLL as well. So you joined the PLL as a member of the Redwoods in 2019. Um, how many conversations did you have with Paul leading up to when he was starting that league and then, you know, ultimately joining that league, you know, seeing how, he was almost able to take it to the next level, you know, just talk about that transition from the MLL to the PLL. Yeah. You know, I, heard, I think there was like, you know, that last year with the lizards and obviously I've got a, um, a, a teammate that's, that's starting this league, mm-hmm. you know, there, uh, there was rumblings. And I remember like the last, after our last game, you know, that that's a team where we were starting to figure it out. I look at the lizards our last year, we were like, we had, we had Will Manny, Rob, Hartzell, Paul, we had like some of the game's greatest players and we were just starting to figure out how to play together. Very similar to the, to the Rattlers, right? Oh, mm-hmm. six, when I came in, like, you've got this roster and like, we're, we're really, really stacked. We're great, but we just weren't there yet. Oh, seven. We, I think we lost in the playoffs. If I, if I remember, um, and then, Oh wait, we win it. So I think that the lizards were like on that path. Like we were, mm-hmm. we were there. Um, first two years were, were, you know, we were, it was growing pains. And then that third year, I really think that we would have been successful, but here comes this new league. And, um, just like you said, I think Paul and and Mike, they've got this, this, this vision and, um, it's about taking this game to the next level, taking professional across to the next level. And it, it was, it was necessary. It was needed. And, um, I think you're seeing it in every, every form you're seeing it, uh, with gameplay, you know, these games, I've never been a part of a league where every game seems like it's an overtime or one goal game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the parody is, is crazy. The talent level is crazy. 
Um, it's just, it's, it's, the, it's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything's done first class. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, you, with, with, with NBC being a partner the first couple of years, you know, games on TV and being streamed, there's never been more eyes on, on lacrosse from college across to professional lacrosse. And um, I think that's going to take this sport to the next level. Absolutely. And your Redwoods had a pretty successful 2019. You guys fell just a little bit short. You had that go ahead goal. Um, unfortunately, Rambo would tie it and then end it in regular and overtime. Um, sorry to bring up old wounds, but talk about that championship, that roller coaster, um, despite coming out on the losing end. That's probably one of the greatest games I've ever been a part of, even, mm-hmm. even though we're on the losing, losing side of it. Um, you know, just the crowd, number one, like being in a great venue, like that was an unbelievable venue. Um, I believe we played there for the Hamilton Nationals. We played the Bayhawks there mm-hmm. in the semifinals. We lost. But yeah, like that, that was a venue that's just, it's, it's perfect for lacrosse. Absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. Huge crowd for that game. And honestly, we're down, I don't know how many goals we're down by seven, I believe, nine to two, down by seven in the mm-hmm. third, like pretty late in the third. And, you know, I looked at Kyle Harrison and I was like, man, we're, it's a wrap. Like this, there's no way we're coming back. And we just start chipping away, chipping away. And like Jack Neer's got a, has a huge goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, you start to see those, the, the, the scoreboard kind of turn a little bit. And it's like, man, we're, we're in this, we're in this, here we go. And to come back and to score that go ahead goal, you did the stick flip and I, yeah. I get a lot of crap for that from the whip snakes, but you know, I've done that before. And I just, uh, it was just in the moment, you know, I thought we, we did it, <laughs> you know, we did it. And when you look back at it, like theoretically we win the face off, we burn the whole shot clock. Like we should have had that game. Um, and I think it almost hit that, that behind that back too. People forget yeah. about that. If he hits that behind yeah. that back, that's the dagger. But, uh, he it's just the barely dagger, missed. But yeah. <laughs> it's it's the dagger. But you, you know what? Um that's that's lacrosse. And you know, it was again to be a part of such a great game is uh, is especially the first the first championship game in league history mm-hmm. to make it such a um an awesome um showing of what the sport can be was was really cool. And you know, I talk about it a lot, but Matt Rambo, war number one um at Maryland, um mm-hmm. obviously had a legendary career in college. Um, you know, I, I've I've only up to that point, seen him on TV, never really shared the field with him. Um, and that was my first taste as to how good he is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I, and credit to him, man, like he, he took over, you know, scored that tying goal and then scored the winner. You know, that's, that's a great player making huge plays to win a championship. Uh, but I really got a, a taste of how, how good he is. So mm-hmm. it was, um, it was really cool to, uh, to see that. And uh, again, I wish things, worked out differently for us I, I really think that if we win that game the next year looks a lot different mm-hmm. you know you've got a different level of swagger and confidence um but it is what it is and um you know I think the Redwoods are, are in good hands um we've got we've got you know every year we, we're, we're we're right there mm-hmm. um and I think that's going to be a, a huge year for the Redwoods coming up no absolutely and uh you probably didn't know it at the time but you recorded your final point last year. It was an assist to Kyle Harrison. Um, you talked about him a little bit in that 2019 game. Uh, have you guys reminisced about that, you know, both being your final point in pro lacrosse? And uh, do you think, you know, just talk about the kind of serendipity of that that moment. Yeah, we haven't talked about it. You know, I talked to Kyle almost daily. Um, I, we haven't talked about that point. You know, I think that uh, up until this point, like he, he obviously knew he was retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like I, I kind of knew in the back of my head, but I was holding on for as long as I can and mm-hmm. as long as I could. But um, I, I knew that the time was was right, and uh, it was about timing, like when to do it. And mm-hmm. um, it took a little time with all the things I have going on with work. Mm-hmm. But I finally, you know, came up with uh, you know release with uh, with the the amazing help of the PLL. You know, they were absolutely incredible with getting that together. Um, and again, I don't expect anything less first class from start to finish. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a really special moment that we can look back on in like 10, 20 years and, and have that, that, uh, that clip and, and to be able to show our kids that will be really cool. Um, you know, Kyle and I, you know, in college, we hated each other, obviously mm-hmm. Hopkins, Maryland, that rivalry. Um, but after college, we got to play on Team USA together in 2006, and we were roommates in Canada for, for the World Games. And we we started a camp company together, and we've been really close since. So 
it's all fitting that our that was our last point mm-hmm. um, together. And uh, again, it'll it'll be really really special when we look back on it. No, absolutely. Um, now let's segue into the five and five more rapid fire questions and stuff. Hopefully, fun answers. Um, and I always like to ask the first one I start with for lacrosse is what are some of your pregame routines or superstitions that you had when you were playing? I tape my stick before every practice and every every game. Fresh mm-hmm. tape job. Um, it's 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 kind of adapted into the same tape job now for many many years, uh, but it's like half candy cane in the middle tape at the top and then more tape at the bottom so a little bit of candy cane shows but i've been using that for for since the nighthawks so for many many years no awesome and then uh, that's a very common one that i feel like a lot of people do um number two what's your favorite venue to play lacrosse at? and that can be throughout your entire career so it can be college as well you know i, I think that bird stadium um it was was always a great venue mm-hmm. um playing at hopkins was a great venue mainly because of the crowds like you know, I think that's one of the coolest things about playing at a big, big time school like Maryland. You know, you're going to you're going to play in front of big crowds. You're going to play against the best teams. Um, so we were always lucky to have have um, good sized crowds and, and playing in our home stadium was awesome. But playing in Hopkins, you know, my senior year, we played in 2006 in front of a standing only crowd was really cool. Uh, um, those two really stand out. You know, mm-hmm. I always uh, we played growing up. I went to every Syracuse game every single Syracuse game that I could. Um, so going to the dome was, was always a, a fun, fun, uh, a fun thing to do on, on the weekend. And mm-hmm. we, we only ever, we scrimmaged there once and we played in the quarterfinals there my freshman year. Um, so being able to play in the dome was, was, um, was, was pretty cool just because I, I've done every, every Syracuse game growing up. No. Awesome. And then who was a player that you kind of looked up to as a mentor? You mentioned a few, uh, but who's really been the one that you kind of modeled your game after? I don't know about modeled my game after because I just feel like my game is just it's taken so many turns and evolved. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I was a freshman, I was just talking to a kid um, the other day about this. But when I was a freshman at Maryland, I was just a finisher. I didn't carry the ball. And then every year kind of after that sophomore, junior, senior, I took out more responsibility and mm-hmm. became more of a feeder and ball carrier and scorer. Um, in the pro game, you know, again, I, I switched from attack. And when I got drafted, the Rattlers, John Grant Jr. was the lefty attackman. So I'm not taking his spot. Mm-hmm. So I shifted to midfield and my game kind of evolved from there. I had to dodge from up top more, from the wing a little bit more. Um, but guys that I looked up to, you know, it, 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 these are the guys like Gary Gate, Casey Powell, Andrew Whipple, um, John Grant Jr. Like those four guys are the guys for me. You know, I, I, I have, um, I remember when I was in high school, I did a, um, I did a, a TV interview and I dyed my hair blonde because team, uh, team Canada did and John Grant did. So like, I've always looked up to him. Um, and, and again, just to be able to play with him was like, I was starstruck. So. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And then on the flip side, who's been the toughest player to kind of face during your career? Ah, that, that's a tough one. Um, you know, for me, obviously, I'm going against defensemen. You know, you look at, like, you look at D middies, um, and I was lucky to play with him for a couple of years in New York, but Kevin Understein was, uh, you know, always a fierce matchup, um, you know, trash talking and just he's playing hard. You know, we're both going back and forth. So he was always a really fierce competitor. Um, you know, I was lucky to play with Brody Merrill for, for many years on Rochester and Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, but having to go against him for some years um, was not great. You know, he's uh, one of the game's, you know, best players. He was defenseman of the year every year for, I want to say, like seven or eight years. Um, and to have to go against him was was uh, was really tough. No, absolutely. And my final one, and it might be somebody you already mentioned, but if they made an NLL or PLL lacrosse video game, who would you say deserves to be on the cover? Could be a handful of guys, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you got to go Casey. I think you got to go Casey, you know, um, mainly because he, he's just – he's he's really excelled at every every aspect, right? He was mm-hmm. – college, he was, you know, best player in, in, in college lacrosse. Um, he was MVP of the NLL, mm-hmm. right? I think the only American to be the MVP mm-hmm. of the NLL. Like, that's wild. Um, 
and obviously in, in the MLL, uh, he was, you know, he's excelled at every single level. So I think Casey's the guy. Um, I mean, you could, you could, you could draw from the Mount Rushmore though. There's, there's other guys like junior and Gary that could easily be on the cover too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And spinning that Casey has been on his own video game uh, in the past too. So uh, pretty, pretty <laughs> uh, moving on to off the field questions. Who's a player in another sport that you enjoy watching? I really, really like, uh, I'm not, not so much his antics off the floor, but, but Kyrie is, um, mm-hmm. I love watching his game. Um, I grew up watching Allen Iverson. So two are kind of similar, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I like watching Kyrie. What he does is, is, uh, is, is crazy. Yeah. He's so effortless. I mean, he just dropped 50, I think on the Hornets, like a couple nights ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, number two, what are some hobbies or activities you enjoy doing outside of lacrosse? Love traveling. My girlfriend and I, we live up in uh, NorCal and we're spending a lot more time now um, just seeing what, what the area has to offer. You know, Tahoe is not far um, and, and there's just so much up here. It's beautiful. So just traveling in general, we've been to, you know, tons of, of cities and, and, and explored all over the country. And um, that's something we really enjoy doing. Awesome. And this might lead into my next question. What's uh, your favorite spots of vacation? Oh man, you know, we used to live in paradise. We used to live in Manhattan Beach, California, which is, it's, it's paradise. Um, you know, we, we had a really tough time leaving, uh, but ultimately work uh, up here for me was, uh, was, was the place to be um, for, for all the things that I have kind of going on and, and wanted to do. Uh, but Manhattan Beach is awesome. Her family has, um, has roots in Naples, Florida. Naples is, is beautiful too. Um, that's a special place. So those are, those are two. Um, I think we're, we're going to try to get to Hawaii soon, which will, um, I've only been there once for the Hawaii tournament in 2010, I believe. Kyle is my roommate. Um, when we went there, spent the majority of the time in the room because of the weather. It was raining like almost half the time. So uh, we, we, I'd, I'd like to get back there to see more of Hawaii. Awesome. And then uh, number four, favorite meal. Do you prefer to dine out or cook at home? I like dining out. I mean, it's, it's nice to, um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're foodies. We like to, um, we appreciate good meals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice to, it's nice to eat at home, but it's just, it's work. It's, yeah. it's effort. Um, <laughs> there's satisfaction, there's satisfaction there though, making a good meal, eating, eating a meal at home. But, uh, yeah, we like, we like going out. Cool. And then what, what do you like? What's your favorite meal? Would you say, um, when you're, cook, when you're going out? Um, so my mom's food is, is, is number one. She owns a restaurant in Rochester called Mama San's. It's Thai Vietnamese food. Um, I, I've yet to, and I'm not biased because it's my mother. I've yet to have food that is as good as hers um, in that genre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I could eat Italian food every day. And it probably would not be good for me, but I could. I love Italian food. Um, I love a good spicy red sauce, bolognese sauce um yeah, yeah i love italian food awesome and then my final question is what's a book tv show podcast or even a movie that you've been binging or recently watched that you'd recommend oh man okay um tv show i'm gonna give you a couple just because i yeah, yeah i like to watch stuff um the the the, the new kanye documentary I, I haven't finished the third episode but the first one i thought was like really cool because the foresight that he had to 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 have a uh, have a guy recording him mm-hmm. before he was anybody um was 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 wild like the fact that he he's he's out here trying to chase a deal and um <clears throat> get it get his mixtape um some exposure and just the foresight there was uh i i i'm still in shock um and all of that so it's called genius um on netflix um, watching a show right now called um, The Outsider, which is on HBO Max. Okay. Um, it's it's a it's a little dark, uh, but it's it's a good one. What's that um, about? It's about it's about um, a guy that kills he kills a kid, mm. but he's it's it's he doesn't he doesn't actually do it, and it's about crime like drama. this kind of, it's a crime drama. It's like about this virus that people can get that gives you like a, uh, another identity it's 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 a little it's a little far-fetched but it's it's really engaging it's it's a really cool show um you know i really try to think of some other shows that i love watching 
Um, my favorite show on TV is Forensic Files. I was talking about it last night with a kid that I trained. I love Forensic Files. I went to school um, at Maryland. My, my major, my major, my major was criminal justice, but um, I never did anything with it. But I'm just really, I really enjoy learning and watching things that have to do with um, with crime and stuff like that. So Forensic Files is one of my all time favorite shows. Um, it's it's on every night too, so I could I could watch it before I fall asleep. <laughs> No, I got to check out uh, The Outsider because uh, I have HBO Max and uh, I, I love those type of like thrillers or crime, crime dramas or whatever. So there's a, well, there's a new one. I just got an email about it. I'm going to tell it to you because okay, I, yeah, I want to awesome. watch this, but it's, it's called, I got an email from HBO Max and it is called The Under, Undercurrent, The Disappearance of Kim Wall. So it's, it's a documentary about this, this lady that goes into this guy's submarine and never comes back so it's a true story yeah true story and i'm excited to watch that okay yeah that's another one i'm going to check out for sure i'm glad you good good recommendations for sure yes sir um that wraps up our five and five always like to end on one final question what's some advice you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally spend as much time as you can with that stick in your hand you know i talk about it all the time any camp any clinic any training session any training group that i start with um lacrosse is a great sport and then it's not size related anybody can be a great player if you you know you can't see me right now but if you look at me i'm six foot tall 180 pounds there's nothing special about me i'm not that fast not that slow not that strong not that weak i'm average um but what i did growing up is i spent you know endless hours with that stick in my hand and that's the equalizer in lacrosse that's what makes everyone the same is it going to help you if you're fast sure is going to help you if you're strong, of course. Is it going to help you if you're like big? Yes, of course it is. But ultimately, if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, if you look at these college games, you look at pro games, everyone's typically around the same height, you know, average size dudes. Um, you have some outliers here and there, but everyone's got a stick. And if you put forth that effort and the time in your stick work, um, you know, there's a spot for you on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a matter of just effort and just just getting out. Yeah, just getting out there and working. No, I love that. Well, we really appreciate you hopping on, Joe. And then congrats on a phenomenal career. I think the sport is in a better spot for having you know you as a pro for the past 16 years. So once again, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. That wraps up another episode. We appreciate Joe Walters hopping on the podcast. If you guys enjoy this reminder uh, to leave a review, subscribe on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we thank you guys always for listening to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.